Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 10. In this episode, we are going to be listening to Brian Joyce, one of our local Bible teachers at Langstaff, on the subject of the characteristics of God from James chapter 4. We trust it will encourage you as we all learn to deal with new norms and new schedules. Life can change drastically for us in these ways, but it is always good to remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining today's podcast. This is Brian, and I'm really excited about sharing the truth of God with you in this format. It's new to me, so you can expect a few bloopers and blunders as I proceed. Please be patient. My message should be about 20 minutes. If I go past that, I give you full permission to shut me off. With so much isolation due to the coronavirus, it is good for us to connect in this way, and more importantly, to turn to God and to His Word for nourishment and mutual encouragement. These are stressful and uncertain times, yet we have a God who knows about it all and a God who is fully capable of taking care of us, His people. Today, I would like to consider four aspects of God's character from James chapter 4. We'll read from verses 1 to 12. The first few verses are very startling, but I read them for the connection that they give to the rest of the section. So let's read together James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And God will bless the reading of his word. One amazing purpose among many that God is accomplishing in our lives is drawing us closer to himself. In all life's experiences, the problems, the difficulties, the trials, the heartaches, the fun, the enjoyable, the mundane, the routine, God is pulling us in 
towards himself, drawing us closer and closer to his heart. This is why he speaks so forcefully through the Apostle James at the start of the chapter. When we fight and quarrel among ourselves, it is evidence that we are not listening to his heartbeat. There is a self-centered, self-absorbed mindset happening in these first few verses. Even prayer life has been reduced to self-occupation rather than the, the glory of God. The first thing that I want to consider about God is that God yearns over you with love. See it in verses 4 and 5. This word yearn means to greatly desire, to intensely crave. Verse 5 says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us? ESV reading. We forget how much God really loves us and desires closeness. We are in relationship with the God of heaven and he seeks earnestly to deepen that bond. One of the things that, that greatly threatens the growth and development of closeness with God is the world. James talks about it here. First John 2, love not the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Romans 12, be not conformed to this world. So what is the world that James and John and Paul are talking about? The word is better translated age, which refers to the system of beliefs and values or the spirit of the age. This sum of contemporary thinking and values forms the moral atmosphere of our world and is always dominated by Satan, according to 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. To set your mind, to set your affection, your desires, your friendship with the world is an act of spiritual adultery, according to verse 4. We see an example in the Old Testament with uh, Hosea and Gomer. Uh, God asked this prophet to go and marry a prostitute who would leave him and go after her lovers. And, and then God would, would, would tell him to go and, and seek after her again and, and, and take her into his heart. And it's a, an illustration of what God did with Israel. And it, it shows us the heart of God and how he, he loves us with an everlasting love. He jealously or zealously, longingly, intensely yearns over us because he does not want our hearts divided. God longs for wholeheartedness. I hope in, in these days of trouble and uncertainty that you will get a firm and fresh grasp of this reality. God yearns after you with all his being. He loved you. When you were a sinner, which he proved at the cross, he presently loves you and wants you to live in the intimate enjoyment of his presence. Don't let the mindset of this world with its anxiety, fear, and distrust to, to put a wedge between you and your God. Stop today and revel in the wonder of his love. The second characteristic of God is that God opposes the proud heart. Verses 6 and 7. Pride, arrogance, a self-sustaining spirit are evil in the eyes of God, and He opposes it. What we need is a humble mind. And James tells us it will enable three things. Number one, 
we see in verse 6, to receive grace. God often uses the circumstances of life and personal suffering to keep us humble and dependent. You remember in 2 Corinthians 12 when, when Paul received that thorn in the flesh and he wanted it removed and, and God said, I, I will sustain you with my grace. And God said to him, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Secondly, in verse 7, uh, to relinquish self. God wants our wills to be surrendered to His. He wants us to, to take the attitude of the Lord Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. And thirdly, in verse 7, to resist evil. To resist the evil one. How? With prayer. With truth. With authority. We have the power and authority of the risen Christ. So we have learned, number one, God yearns over you with love. Number two, God opposes the proud heart. And now, thirdly, God receives all who come to him in humility. Verses 8 and 9. One thing we often get confused is the difference between spiritual activity and spiritual maturity. Activity is about a task to be performed, while maturity is about a relationship to be pursued. Have you read Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 lately? The words of Jesus? Listen to them. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just go through those few verses and, and underline three words. Rest, easy, light. Is this? Do these words describe your life in Christ? My life is often described by words like work, hard, heavy, the very opposite. So this is one of the reasons why we need uh, the truth of James chapter 4. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you struggle with finding time to spend alone with God? I mean a daily specific meeting with God. I call it the battle for intimacy. There is a sense in which we live our lives in His presence. But what James is talking about is not the general sense of His 24-7 presence with us, which we should all cultivate, but rather a specific meeting with the living God. Because everything changes in the presence of God. What does it mean to draw near to God? I suggest that it means at least four things. Number one means believing God, because this statement, draw near to God, is a command. There are actually nine commands in this section. It is a command, not a suggestion, an imperative, meaning that it is something required by God, something expected by God, something needed for survival, something necessary for us to thrive and grow and be a blessing to others. To approach God through His Word, through prayer, through meditation, is an act of faith. The more we do it, the more we recognize how we cannot do without it. 
it is as essential as sun and water to a plant's survival. The Hebrew writer says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, drawing near to God means believing God. Secondly, it means beholding God. Verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The English words fail to capture the true sense of what is being said. Let me give you a literal rendering of these verses. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Be humbled as you meet the Lord face to face. Isn't that powerful? This is a face-to-face encounter with the living God. Imagine God in His majesty and greatness. You cannot afford to miss this meeting. You need it every day. This is not rushing through a daily reading and checking off the box. It's taking the time, making the time, carving out the time to meet with God and allow His presence to change you. We need this every day. There is a good argument for doing it in the morning before your day begins. As one man said, a quiet spot, a quiet time, a quiet heart. Email, text, Facebook, all have their place. But if you want a serious, close talk with someone, you need to see them face to face, eyeball to eyeball. A.W. Tozer said, the man who would truly know God must give time to him. This is what Moses did at the burning bush. In Exodus 33.11, it says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. We need to behold him, to see him for who he really is. We need to be filled with the fullness of his glory, his majesty, and his beauty. This is what happened to the three disciples who climbed the mountain with the Lord Jesus. It says, they saw no one except Jesus only. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. While the genders may differ in makeup, this reflection of Christ should be true in each one of us. Are you more like Jesus today than you were last month? Can you imagine what it would be like to be in the actual, literal presence of the Lord Jesus with, with gentleness, compassion, and true tenderness radiating from His person? No wonder people long to be near Him. But this is how it works. The more time you spend with him, the more he will rub off. The bottom line, we have to see him. My wife Rachel wrote a devotional a while ago that will help us capture what I'm trying to say. I quote, Some weeks are rougher than others, and sometimes the demands and difficulties of our lives can dim our eyes to the beauties of our Savior. When we lose the wonder and awe, I believe we have lost sight of who he really is. Listen to John's account of seeing the Lord. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw someone like the Son of Man 
He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He had seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, as if I were dead. But he laid his hand upon me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. Revelation 1, 12-18 We read these words at the supper table last night, and they flooded my soul with the wonder of who he is. I didn't even realize that my vision of him had gotten dim this week. I have been enjoying his word and his presence, but somehow my view had been obscured by the stress and struggles of the week. I am so thankful for the power of his word to clear our vision. If you have time, read the passage out loud and listen to the majesty and grandeur of the words. His head radiant white, his eyes like flames of fire, his voice like the thundering roar of crashing waves, his hand able to hold the stars, and his face as blindingly bright as the sun. This is our Lord. How can we not fall at his feet in worship at his power and his glory? And how is it possible that this glorious one was willing to stoop so low to rescue us? How could he love us so? We worship the one who is the beginning and the end, the living one who died that we might live, and who lives that we might never die. May our hearts be filled with worship, and may our eyes be filled with him alone. End quote. So what does it mean to draw near to God? Well, number one, it means believing God. Secondly, it means beholding God. And thirdly, it means bowing before God. It's not that you need to humble yourself, but rather this encounter will humble you. As you face to face with God, you will be emptied of self and filled with Him. Notice verse 9, be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Not what you would expect from spending time with God. You would think, be joyful, laugh, be encouraged. And sometimes this is the case. But our hearts are so sinful, and, and being in His presence will involve weeding out sin. This is a painful process that will continue all throughout our lives. We are not broken because we don't spend time in His presence. When we agree with Him, verse 8 occurs, there is outward Surrender, cleanse your hands, and there is inward surrender, purify your hearts. Practical note, surrender will involve three things. Number one, confessing sin. Stop arguing with God. To confess sin is to say the same, to agree with God. Confession of sin, renouncing sin, turn away from it by faith. This is the ongoing repentance process. And thirdly, embracing God's forgiveness. 
1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What does it mean to draw near to God? It means believing God, means beholding God, means bowing before God. And lastly, from this section, it means blessing from God. Anytime you encounter God, you will be blessed. God gives promises. One of those promises, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you, even when it doesn't feel like it. Feelings should always follow faith, not the other way around. Feelings are kind of like the caboose on a train. The caboose will go wherever the engine goes. And when you draw near, the guarantee is that He will show up. He will be there, waiting. This is so necessary because everything changes in His presence. Another promise? Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. These are conditional promises. If you draw near, He will meet you. If you humble yourself before Him, He will exalt you. This is what Isaiah found as he beheld the Lord in His majesty recorded in Isaiah chapter 6. The experience brought him low, but in the end, God lifted him up as a useful, humble vessel equipped to do uh, God's work. This is one of the three requirements that Micah presents. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To be exalted means to have the privilege of walking with God, the privilege of knowing uh, that His presence is with you, all the way. Heaven will be the long-term fulfillment of both of these promises. It, it will be one long, glorious, eternal, face-to-face -face encounter with God. And we will be exalted with Him. We will see Him. We will be with Him. We will be like Him. And we will share in His glory. How awesome that will be. Now, I notice that we've come to the 20-minute mark in the podcast, so some of you may be checking out at this point. But if you give me a few more minutes, I have one final characteristic of God that I would like to share. First, we notice that He yearns over you with love. Secondly, we learn that He opposes a proud heart. Thirdly, uh, God receives all who humbly come to Him. And now, lastly, God judges. Therefore, you are free of that responsibility. We see that in verses 11 and 12. Notice what it says. Do not speak evil one of another. I am always amazed at how cruel we can be in our downgrading words towards our fellow believers, often of preachers, of elders, of parents, and of those who feel less spiritual than ourselves. How easy it is to tear down another person's character and, and damage can be done that's irreparable. Let us take this exhortation to heart. Speak not evil one of another. These are strong words meaning to slander or defame the character of another in a careless, derogatory way. Whatever the strength of the word, there is never a time for us to be unkind with our tongues. Yes, rebukes are necessary. We all need correction. But Solomon says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. How good when there are those who seek the best interest 
of others. There are plenty of ways to speak in an inconsiderate or evil way. Slander is one. Gossip and tail-bearing are despicable and have no part in a Christian's conversation. Criticism is another. I believe it was Chuck Swindoll who said there are four questions to interrogate your thoughts before they're released. One, is it true? If you can't check the source, then don't share it. Two, is it confidential? If so, keep it under lock and key. Three, is it kind? Will it build up another? If not, don't don't say it. And four, is it necessary? Does the person need to know? If it won't make a difference, then maybe it's better just to leave it. You need to be careful to let God be the judge and not you. He knows what he's doing, and besides, he does a great job. I hope these characteristics of God will challenge our hearts, bring us into a closer walk with him, and into a deeper love for one another. Thanks for listening. May God be real to each of you.